Good morning. For those of you that don't know, my name is Javon Johnson. I'm a chaplain in the United States Navy. I am stationed over at uh, 111 with the artillerymen, and I love my job, and I, I have a fantastic job where I get to be present with Marines and sailors, and so it's, it's pretty fantastic for me. But today, we're going to be talking about what it means to be forgiven. But before I go into my sermon, I want you to watch a quick video. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on Earth. It can change lives in an instant. Everyone has it. It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action in Steve Hartman's Assignment America. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Yes, I'm grateful. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. For all you've done for me. Forgiveness is pretty hard when it's something like that, right? And so it's not a surprise when Peter is talking to Jesus and he's asking them this question because sometimes people can hurt people so bad that they don't want to forgive them. 
Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I will I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And so when Peter is asking this question and he says, how, how, how much should I forgive him? Up to seven times. He's thinking, I should be good. Seven is a perfect and a holy and a complete number. Jesus is going to give me a clap and say, hey, good job. But Jesus doubled down on double downing. <laughs> and he says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he proceeds to tell him this parable. And it says this. Uh, as it goes forward, it says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began to settle, but a man owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered him, he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant master took pity on him, counseled his debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and said, you wicked servant. I cancel all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master turned, uh, turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then Jesus finished with this. He said, this is how your heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, it's real easy for us to look at this survey and say, man, can you imagine if everybody got their debt canceled and somebody only owed me $200? I'd be so happy. I'm like, man, don't worry about that $200. But I would argue that sometimes we can be like the unmerciful servant. That we know that God has forgiven us of everything that we've done, everything that we will do and everything that will happen in the future. Yet for whatever reason, when people sin against us, we want to hold it against them. And it might be holding against your uncle that you haven't talked to in a long time. You might have an exchange, a strange relationship with your parents. It might be a boss. It might have been a coach. It might have been something. You have this unforgiveness just being in your heart, and God has forgiven you of everything, but for whatever reason, we don't want to forgive people for simple things that they have done against us. It's funny that we can accept God's forgiveness in our lives, but can't show forgiveness to others. Don't you think that's hypocritical? That we go to God and pray and say, God, please forgive me for everything that I've done. Yet when someone does something against us, we're like this unmerciful servant who says, you owe me, you, you've sinned against me less than I sinned against God, and I'm going to hold it against you. How hypocritical. Jesus even says this. He said, before we even go to God in prayer, we are supposed to forgive. So a lot of our, our prayer lives aren't as good as it should be because we have some unforgiveness, some things that are working in our hearts, some bitterness, some angerness, anger towards somebody else, and we haven't gotten it off of our chest. It says this, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. So this, this must be important to Jesus because Jesus says, not only are you supposed to give some, forgive somebody 77 times, but before you even go to prayer to God, you need to forgive people when they sin against you. So I have this question for you. Why is it so hard 
for us to forgive. I want you to think about that. Why is it so hard for us to forgive other people when they sin against us? Maybe it's because when they sin against us, it was so egregious that you want them to, to, to suffer like you suffer. Or it was so egregious you feel like that is an unforgivable thing that you did against me. You need to go to jail. You need to be killed for what you've done. Why is it so hard for us to forgive? And I would argue this. We think that receiving Jesus' righteousness means receiving his lordship too. I don't think y'all are ready to hear that one. We think that receiving Jesus' righteousness means receiving his lordship too. And so when God comes down and he looks over the world, he says, I forgive you of everything you've done. Not only do I forgive you, I wipe the slate clean so you can have access to me. We think that somehow that means we're going to sit at the right hand of God. I'm here to tell you we are not he who saved us. I don't think y'all understand that. We are not he who saved us. We are not Jesus. We do not get to sit at the right hand of God and judge the world. But when anytime we don't have forgiveness for people, when we don't forgive people, we are judging them. And we're acting as if somehow we're better than them and when we're not. So one of the things that I did, I used to be a youth minister at the North County Church of Christ, and we had these camps that, that, that kind of went on. And one of the camps was called Unforgiven. Uh, and in this camp, at the last lesson that I gave, I broke it down into two parts. First part, I gave a sermon with a shirt that kind of had, it was all white, and it had every single sin that I ever committed in my life on the shirt. The shirt was full. <laughs> everything, yeah, everything on And I got up there with this shirt on, and I preached the lesson. And then I told the teenagers, I was like, hey, not only am I going to preach this lesson with this shirt on, I'm going to walk through the rest of the day with this shirt on just to experience what it's like to have people look at me and know that all my sins, all the ones that I had struggled with the most, I put them right here in the, in the front. I kind of wanted to see what the experience was like. And then I had a point for it at the end. So I, I, I get, get out there. I'm wearing my shirt. And I expected people to come up to you and just kind of ask you questions. Hey, why are you wearing this shirt? Well, well at this camp, we have high school and middle school and elementary all together, but we kind of rotate so you don't really see them. And the only time you see them is during the breaks. We're doing the breaks, little kids would look at me and they'd whisper to their little friend and they start pointing at me. Some of them were laughing at me. I, I, was, I was shocked. I was super shocked. Like, I, I can't make this up. Like, little kids, t- middle school kids didn't want to hang out with me. I went, into the, I, went into the, I went into the lunchroom, and no one sat by me at lunch. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I don't care. I, I'm good being by myself. But, but, but the thing about it is, this is odd, because if I had on something different, all the kids always bother me. <laughs> Javon, can't you can't play this with me. Can't you do this, do this, do this? And no one wanted to have anything to do with me. It was the craziest thing. And so I shared this experience with, with, with the teenager, and they were like, surprised. They're like, Javon, we didn't know that. I'm like, you guys didn't really do that on purpose. You just kind of did it. You didn't want to be associated with someone who had all this sin in their life. Got it. Check. I understand. So by default, you weren't forgiving me. And, and the point of the whole lesson, so what I did, I had that shirt on. Underneath it, I had this one. I took this one off, and I explained to them that now I stand forgiven. Right. But it doesn't give me the ability to be God or to be Jesus or be like Jesus, because when I get forgiven, even though I'm forgiven, there's this little imperfection in the middle of the forgiveness that reminds me that I'm still a sinner. 
That the only reason that I'm forgiven, the only reason I have access to God is because I have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And even then, there's still more imperfections right here. And this, and this represents the sins that I will continue to make, the stuff that I will continue to do. And God says, I will cover it all. So how can I, who stand forgiven for my sin, look at any one of you and say, you are an awful person because you did this to me? I'm never going to forgive you. You're not my friend anymore. I'm not going to hang out with you. You're not going to be a part of my life. Knowing that I have sin, that I have to get rid of myself, and the only reason that I'm even close to being righteous is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you catch that first part? It says if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we don't have unforgiveness, what we're saying to someone who has sinned against us is that I don't sin. I don't do anything wrong. That's what we say. That's what we say to them. And so by default, we end up trying to be the judge of their sins. This is the punishment that you deserve for sinning against me. Listen to this. Having unforgiveness in our heart is a poison that only kills us. Having unforgiveness in our hearts is a poison that only kills us. Um, I, I think I told you guys about my story with my dad. I met my dad for the first time when I was 16 years old. We didn't have a good relationship um, because he just wasn't there. And I finally met him when I was 16. And from about 18 to 25, you know, I kind of just became a Christian. And I thought that I had forgiven my father for not being a part of my life, right? Um, the problem with that is, is that I really didn't because when my dad would call me, I would look at my cell phone, see that he's calling, and I put it back in my pocket because I didn't want to talk to him. Uh, when he would text me, I would text him back for three months. I, I thought in my head that I had forgiven my father, but really I hadn't forgiven him. And it's interesting because my wife, when I'm talking to my wife, she says, you, you talk bad about your father a lot. You probably got a lot of unforgiveness on you. I think you're probably right, <laughs> where she normally is. Um, so I talked to my father, and I told him that I was upset. I was upset that for the first 16 of my, years of my life, you weren't involved. And when I came to see you for the first time, you had a whole other family and other kids that you took care of since they were little babies. And you neglected me. In fact, from 16 to 25, or by the time I told him about this, I said, in fact, you didn't do anything to make up for lost time. I said some random phone calls. And you don't even call me or text me on my birthday. And he looked at me and said, son, I didn't know you felt that way. He was crying. He didn't even know that I had this bitterness and this anger and this poison of unforgiveness on my heart. And the only person that was hurting, the only person that was destroying was me. That's it. That's the only person it was affecting. Having unforgiveness in our heart is a poison that only kills us. Listen to this. This is some crazy stuff. The unwillingness to forgive is classified in medical books as a real health condition. Wait, did y'all catch that? The unwillingness to forgive 
is classified in medical books as a real health condition. So they, they've been trying to figure out, like, if people are, have unforgiveness on their heart, unforgiveness, do they get better or worse? And what they've been finding out is that people are getting better when they let go of the, the, the bitterness and the hatred. And the people who keep that hatred and that bitterness and that unforgiveness on their heart, they stay the same or they get worse. Having unforgiveness on our hearts is a poison that only kills us. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is, this says this. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house, reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped him from her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two men owed a man money, um, and, and one of them owed 500 and the other one owed 50 Neither of them had the resources to pay him back, so he counseled the debt of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. And then he tells them this. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And so sometimes when we start confusing our righteousness with God's lordship, with Jesus' lordship, we feel that we aren't forgiven as much, that we're closer to God than somebody else. And so by default, we start loving less. This is why we can look at the homosexual community the way that we do. This is why you can have political fights and things and lose friends on Facebook because you think that somehow you're better than someone else. You're closer to God than someone else. And you start loving little. It is impossible. It is impossible to display God's love without showing forgiveness. It is impossible. You cannot do it. We cannot display God's love without showing forgiveness towards people. I want you all to understand that this cannot happen because God looks down over all of the earth. Every single thing that has happened will happen in the future. And he says, I don't want anyone to perish. And since I don't want anyone to perish, how do I reconcile this? Oh, hey, son, you want to go die for the sins of the world? And then he sends his son down as a sin offering. And he says, not only am I sending my son down, I'm going to forgive you of your sins through my son. That is how much I love you. You see, it's impossible for us to display God's love without showing forgiveness, even as Jesus is on the cross and they have whipped him and beat him and spit on him and kicked him and pushed him all the way up to the point where he's hanging on the cross. He looks down on the people and says, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's impossible to display God's love without showing forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about allowing sin to go unpunished. You guys understand that? 
Forgiveness is not about allowing sin to go unpunished. Sometimes people deserve their consequences, but I think that's part of the problem that we have, right? Because forgiveness is not about allowing sin to go unpunished. We want to be the one who punished them. (laughs) We want to control the consequences of the actions. When God says what? Vengeance is what? It's mine. (laughs) Right? He says that over here. Hey, so it doesn't mean that the sin is going to go unpunished. That, that man who shot the, uh, the young boy who shot down the young boy, he, uh, he went to jail for 17 years. I know for me, and I told you story, the story before, but my best friend was 18 years old. He got shot in the head by a 13-year-old boy. He wanted to be in the game. And when that happened, I wanted to kill that little boy. Right? My natural reaction. Took me, it took me a while to kind of reconcile the idea that somehow, I never met the boy before. I don't know the boy's name. I don't know if he's alive or dead. I don't know if he's still in, in jail, but I have forgiven that young man. It took me a while, but I have forgiven him. I don't even care or even know if he got punished for what he did. The, the way I think he deserves to be punished. But I know I've forgiven him. So some of us are walking around waiting on someone to get punished for their sin, punished for what they did to you, and you might not, it might not happen. But according to Jesus, according to God, you're still required to love them and forgive them anyway. Forgiveness doesn't require the relationship to be the same either. It doesn't require the relationship to be the same. In fact, you don't even have to have a relationship with someone in order for, them to, for you to forgive them. So if you have, if, say for instance, you have some infidelity, the, the relationship's going to change, right? You're going to have different rules and different stipulations. That's assuming you choose to stay with them. But if you choose not to stay with them, you get divorced, you cannot have a relationship with them and still be, have forgiveness in your heart against them, for them, excuse me. But it doesn't require the relationship to be the same, and this, this is right here. Forgiveness doesn't require the other person to be remorseful. <laughs> Uh-oh. A lot of times we, 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 don't, we want to hold on to that unforgiveness and have that business because I want them to apologize to me. I want them to feel bad for what they did. I want them, they might look at you and say, I don't care about you. Sure, I'd do it again if I had a chance. What you going to do with that? <laughs> what you going to do with that? Oh, I, 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 I hate you. Whoa, whoa. Now we're going against the grain, right? We're going against the call. We're going against what God has called us to do, and that's to love people no matter what they do against us. It says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Mm. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Why are we doing this? Why? Look, look. Forgiveness is about reconciling our spirit back to God. Forgiveness is about us reconciling our spirit back to God. If you don't get anything out of this sermon today, I always always want to make a point. This is the point that needs to be heard. Forgiveness isn't about anything else but us reconciling our spirit back to the one who loves us the most. And if we're always in the process of reconciling our spirit back to God, what we're doing in the process is we're recognizing what it means to have reconciliation. We're recognizing what it means to actually have forgiveness. And more importantly, we're recognizing what it actually means to love someone. 
It means you're actually recognizing it. And not only that, you're, you're saying to God, hey, I am so ecstatic. I'm so happy that you love me more than anything because if you actually wrote down my sins, <laughs> man. If people actually knew what was on my heart, oh, man. If people actually knew what was going on in my mind, ah. But you said you love me so much that I'm not even going to hold that against you. So who am I standing forgiven to look at someone else and say, your sins aren't forgiven? Who do we think we are? Forgiveness is about us reconciling our spirit back to God. It says this, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother and sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. We love because he first loved us. I want you, I want you to think about that. We loved because he first loved us. That without God's love, without God's mercy, without his forgiveness, without all the things, we are condemned to death. Do, do we understand that? That we're condemned to death. Yet God shows so much mercy, so much grace, so much forgiveness that we, we, I, you have to fall down on your knees and say, thank you, God, for the amazing grace that you showed to me on the cross. And you have to have that mindset when we're going into relationships with people. Because then now we realize, we realize what? That we're all in the same situation. And even though at this particular moment in time, this person might have sinned against you and done something horrible, more than likely, if you live long enough, you're going to do something horrible and sin against somebody else. And, 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 and Lord forbid, we like, can you please forgive me for what I've done? We, we're real quick to be like, can you forgive me? Can you forgive me? Please forgive me. I don't want you to be mad at me. But if it's the other way around, nope, you're not my friend. Don't want to talk to you. Get out of my life. Hold bitterness, anger. We love because he first loved us. Then Peter said to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sinned against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. God is in the business of forgiving. That, that, that's his business. And, and when we sign up to be a, a worker in that business, we become a, a, a part of that business of forgiving. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So if, we, if we're saying that we want to be a part of God and be who, where God is, and he's over here just forgiving sins, and doing, that means, hey, wait, maybe, maybe I should go over here and start forgiving people as well. I know some of us in this room are probably thinking, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't understand how it made me feel. I, I do. I'm telling you right now, I've, I've had people sin against me. Oh, man. I didn't want to go on, on the list. And I've sinned against people, too. But the beauty of everything, the beauty of the whole thing is that th there's this amazing thing called love, which transforms everything. And it covers a multitude of sin. I heard that in the Bible somewhere. 
So if love covers a multitude of sins, wouldn't you think that for us as Christians who are supposed to be forgiven, shouldn't we just be displaying love to people all over, even when they don't deserve it? Because I know in the midst of your sin, God loved you and forgave you even when you didn't deserve it. So think about that. Marinate on that. Think about the, the amazing love and grace that God has shown us and say, you know what? Because of that, I am going to walk around as a forgiven person. But that's not just me taking advantage of God's forgiveness and say, oh, I'm just going to hold it on to myself. I'm just going to be forgiven. You sinner, poor sinner, you all bad. That means you're going to do what Jesus did, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But what does he do? He comes down and makes himself a servant. He makes himself a servant. And our goal as people of God, people who claim to know the gospel, people who claim to be loving people, is to come down and be where people are and love them where they are, love them in the midst of their sin. And I know it's hard. It is not easy. And we have unrealistic expectations about what that feels when we start to forgive people. But I'm telling you right now, you will not have access to the Father if you have unforgiveness in your heart. So I'm begging you, you know, start thinking about how I'm going to reconcile those relationships. Not necessarily, you might not even get a chance to talk to them. Some of them might be dead that you have, but you, you might have some bitterness and hatred in your heart for them. And figure out a way, how do I reconcile my spirit back to God? How do I start the process of doing that? Because the last thing we need is for us to perish because we decided to hold a, hold a grudge against someone. Because we decided to be petty. You, you, you guys know that God loves us, right? <laughs> right? If you break the Bible down very simply, Jesus asks one question. What's the greatest commandment? He says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That, he didn't say love your neighbor as yourself if they <laughs> sin against you. I just said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's all he says. And it's very important for us as Christians to put those two things together. That forgiveness equals love. And that love equals forgiveness. And if we're unforgiving, we are not loving. And if we are forgiving, then we're showing the God's love to the people who sin against us, even when they don't deserve it. And so I, I want to encourage you. I know some of us might have some relationships that we need to be mended or some stuff over our heart. You know, if you have any of that kind of stuff, um, the elders will be here to pray for you and we'll pray over you for any of that. And then some of us might be here thinking, man, you know what? I haven't been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I have all this sin on me and I need to get rid of it. I need to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins so I can come up as a forgiven person. If you have any of that. The elders on myself will be available to pray for you right now as we stand and as we sing. Say the Lord.